Hello, and welcome back to One Conversation, the podcast where we believe one conversation can change a life. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to hit the follow button. Also, give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy today's episode. Hello, listeners. My name's Lisa, and today I'm going to be discussing a very important topic that I do not think is talked about often enough. We're going to be talking about vicarious trauma. So before we even get going, just know that this may be triggering for some. So if you're not in the place to listen to this episode at this time, do what you need to do. If you're going to join us, then I just remind you to take care of yourself however you may need to um, throughout listening to this episode or afterwards. And gentle reminder, of course, as we always do, we're going to have a little guided meditation at the end. So great chance for you to participate in some breath work and self-care at the end of this conversation as well. What's really interesting about this is that vicarious trauma is not very well known. So it's very often that individuals may be dealing with this without knowing or understanding what's going on. And I will say that I've had personal experiences with vicarious trauma, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Um, So yeah, it's really important to me to have this episode and just make sure that others are aware of this and know the avenues of support that they can take if needed. But yeah, when I first started experiencing this, I'll tell you that I had no idea about it. I, it really took me a while to put the pieces together. And again, we'll chat about that as we kind of get into the thick of it. So let's just define vicarious trauma. What is it? It is the emotional residue of exposure to traumatic stories and experiences of others through work. Um, And this is through witnessing fear, pain, and terror that others have experienced. It could be a preoccupation with horrific stories that are told to this person in their work capacity. And it's sometimes referred to as either secondary traumatization, secondary stress disorder, or insidious trauma. Another thing to mention here is that vicarious trauma is not the same as burnout, but it's often seen in tandem with burnout or compassion fatigue. Um, And I think a good idea in the future just to have a full other episode on both of those things, burnout and compassion fatigue, and talk about that as well. But I just want to go back now. So I said, you know, this is through work. And that is one of the biggest components of vicarious trauma is that it happens to individuals who work or engage with trauma survivors on a repetitive basis. So for this reason, vicarious trauma is extremely common among professionals that are known for helping others. Um, and this list isn't every profession it can happen in, but just some of the most common. So therapists, social workers, police officers, firefighters, paramedics, doctors. I also want to highlight too, 911 operators, individuals who work at different call or hotline centers, such as the mental health, the suicide hotline, the domestic violence or rape crisis hotlines. So these are all common places where vicarious trauma can occur. And I also want to mention that anyone 
can experience stress when hearing about a loved one's trauma or someone that they know and hearing about their trauma or even just hearing like a secondhand story. Maybe you don't even know the person, but you're affected by the traumatic story that they have or that you've heard. And all of that stress is extremely valid and very natural. And it can even sometimes lead to PTSD or other mental health difficulties like depression and anxiety. However, it's not the same concept of vicarious trauma because again, to define it under vicarious trauma, it's through a professional capacity of some kind. And that's really the biggest and only distinction. So let's chat about a few considerations for vicarious trauma. Uh, We've talked about so many things in this podcast, and I think one of the biggest things we highlight is that even though if we talk about an issue and we say, you know, here's who this can happen to, and here's some underlying um, considerations for how this happens, at the end of the day, everything is individualized, right? There is a lot of different considerations that go into really any issue that someone may have. And this is no different. So there's a lot of different factors that can make someone more vulnerable to experiencing vicarious trauma at work. So consideration number one is that this person had prior traumatic experiences. So yeah, if you've been through a lot of trauma in your life and now your work um, consists of working with trauma survivors, seeing it, hearing it day in and day out, that can be a lot to compound on top of your own trauma. Next is social isolation, both on and off the job. So yeah, if you're working in a silo and you know, you're kind of on your own or you go home, you don't really have a lot of social outlets, um, you know, things to kind of get work off of your mind or process really what happened or have a positive support of some kind, right, that allows you to kind of leave the work at work, then yeah, it can be really difficult to kind of flip that switch, right? That's when you might be taking your work home with you, or you might be just in a state where you can't process it, but it's at the forefront of your mind. Next, a tendency to avoid feelings, withdraw, or assign blame to others in stressful situations. So not really being able to address problems head on, right? Or you you try to just avoid the feelings instead of working through them. Um, And with trauma, that can be really, really difficult. And that can be a pretty negative space to be in, right? Just trying to kind of forget about it or move on. Um, it, It just does not always work that way or work the best for people in those situations. Next, and this is pretty similar, just difficulty expressing feelings. So again, not being able to talk about it, process, work through it. Then lack of preparation, orientation, training, and supervision in their jobs. So yeah, people that work in any capacity, right, um, with victims, with individuals who go through traumatic incidents, um, you know, some of the people in their jobs that are there on the front lines for traumatic events, like police officers, like firefighters, right, or like certain advocates that are on scene with law enforcement, Um, if those individuals are not trained, if they're not prepared, if they do not have the skills and tools to not only like work with that individual and do the best they can in providing support or whatever they need to do, but also not trained in how to handle that themselves, then yeah, we're really not setting them up for success in those situations. 
Another consideration is just being a newer employee, being less experienced at the job. Um, so I, I mean, I think about, you know, obviously I'm not a police officer, but I can only imagine, right, getting out of maybe the police academy um, and being boots on the ground for the very first time, getting a call, showing up, arriving on scene somewhere and just witnessing something truly traumatic uh, for everybody involved. I mean, that has to just be extremely difficult, especially your first couple times doing it. Um, because yeah, it's maybe it's just something you've never seen before, right? And that could really, really be a heavy situation for you to be in. We also have constant and intense exposure to trauma with little or no variation in work. So yeah, if you don't have kind of a lighter day, right? If it's day in, day out, um, some of the most traumatic or really heavy things imaginable, and there's no separation, there's no break, then that can really, really weigh on somebody. And then the last consideration here is lack of an effective and supportive process for discussing traumatic content of the work. So yeah, maybe you don't have a supervisor that you can go and talk to about the things you're witnessing or a part of day to day. Maybe you don't have a team of coworkers, right, who are kind of talking about these things. Um, you don't have just any other supportive outlet. You're not going to therapy. You're not um, really taking any avenues to discuss this, to work through it then yeah, it's, it's going to be at that point, you on your own dealing with it. And some people may be able to do that very well. Um, I know a lot of us, you know, we need that support, right? And that support is crucial um, for how we kind of continue doing the work we do day to day. So another important consideration to discuss is that responses to vicarious trauma can look a number of ways, like I was mentioning before. Something that happens to anyone that experiences vicarious trauma is that they're going to have a change in their worldview, and that is considered inevitable. Um, and, and, but this goes a variety of different ways though, right? So it's not all just negative. We're going to get to that in a second here. But this change in worldview, I mean, some people can either become very cynical or fearful of the world around them. Um, and others may be appreciative of what they have, right? It might kind of shed uh, a different lens in the world that they yeah, are really feeling blessed about what they have or feeling blessed about the good days or the position that they're in. Um, and sometimes people can have both those responses, right? Like I'm, I'm fearful one day, the next day I feel very empowered or blessed. So it really just depends on the person. Um, and, and these things can flex and they can change over time. But essentially, responses can be negative, they can be neutral, or they can be positive. There's a lot of different ways this manifests. Um, and also, too, like prolonged exposure, I think, is going to have a big impact as well, right? Like the longer someone's in this kind of field, or if it increases in traumatic intensity as time goes on, all of these things weigh in. So let's start... Because um, like I just said, you know, there's there's neutral reactions to this. There's sometimes positive reactions to this. But we're going to start talking about the negative responses that can happen. And I am going to talk about a few of these that I personally experienced throughout all the different categories here, just to give you a little bit of uh, real life context. 
And for anyone out there who is perhaps unfamiliar, um, I was once the prevention educator at Live Violence Free, teaching in all the schools, providing trainings, um, just working with kids at the schools um, in like almost a guidance capacity. Um, so now that I have moved, still do this part-time for the agency, but now my role is different. I work in child welfare. Uh, so I essentially I oversee residential facilities that have children um, or that treat children, right? Provide shelter or mental health or any kind of treatment that a child needs. So a lot of juvenile detention centers, residential treatments and things like that. So yeah, I've, I've experienced vicarious trauma, um, you know, a decent amount. And yeah, I'm going to give you the little bits and pieces of things that I went through along the way here. So starting off these negative effects that can happen. Number one is absolutely feeling emotionally numb or shut down. Then we have fatigue, sleepiness, or difficulty falling asleep. That's definitely one I experienced. Um, I will never forget just kind of starting my job as the prevention educator and you know, it was a pretty demanding job. I was just trying to be so many different places at once, going from this school to this training over here, back to the other school. It was just like a lot of running around. Um, and anyone out there that like teaches kids or works to capacity with a lot of, especially school-aged children, middle school, high school-aged children, I mean, it could just be a lot, right? So yeah, my first like couple months, you know, and I'd already heard some pretty heavy things and just started learning about a lot of heavy things, but was just exposed to some disclosures um, and things that were a little traumatic and, and difficult. But I was just, I was getting so tired all the time. And I thought, you know, I'm just running around a lot. I'm just very busy. This job is just kind of like demanding in that way where I'm going from one place to the other. And it took me a while to realize that no matter how much sleep I got, how much coffee I had, if I took a nap that day, if I exercised, like whatever it was, it didn't matter. I was just exhausted. And it finally kind of started to register maybe a year in um, that, no, it's just because I deal with a lot of heavy stuff and my body is just kind of sitting with it. So yeah, that fatigue, that sleepiness, that is very, very, very real. And also too, I don't think this is like even on my little list, but something just to go along with that, nightmares as well and sleep disturbances and difficulties. Um, if you're someone that you're kind of prone to have that happen and yeah, now you're hearing about really, really heavy things, things that could be scary, things that could be violent, like whatever kind of trauma it is, then yeah, pretty, uh, pretty common for certain individuals to have nightmares or just disturbances in sleep due to that. Next up is physical problems or complaints such as aches, pains, and decreased resistance to illness. This is another one where like ding, ding, ding. Oof, did I experience this? Um, and same thing, uh, going back to, you know, being the prevention educator at first, I was getting sick all of the time. Like my first year in, it was like someone could think about sneezing and, and it would make me sneeze. Like that's how much I felt like I was getting sick just all the time. I can go anywhere and pick up any bug there ever was. And I wrote it off again. I thought, you know, I'm just in schools a lot, a lot of different kids. I'm seeing a lot of different people in the community. I'm just exposed to a lot of germs. Um, and yeah, I was taking all the airborne in the world and vitamin C and doing anything I could. It, it just really never mattered, you know, because it was just my immune system just could not catch a break. And 
after a while, I, I really started to think about, you know, I, I don't think this is just from being exposed to germs. I think the fatigue I'm having, I think just everything that I deal with, like my immune system is just, she's just taking a dip, you know, and until I kind of figure out and work through some of the things I'm hearing and some of the things that, you know, I talk about at work, like until I do that, I don't think the sickness, I don't think the sleepiness is going to go away. And lo and behold, once I started working on that stuff, yeah, that's when I started to notice a difference, right? So I kind of was able to really correlate that, yeah, it was a lot of the content from my job that was causing the fatigue and then causing me to get sick all the time. The next one is being easily distracted, uh, which can increase one's risk of accidents, um, forgetfulness, clumsiness, things of that nature. Because yeah, maybe your mind just is not in the room, right? It's kind of wandering off on all these different things um, that you're thinking about that could be really heavy and distracting. Next up, we have a loss of sense of meaning in life or feelings of hopelessness about the future. And of course, this could bleed into relationship problems such as withdrawing from friends and family, perhaps increased interpersonal conflicts, avoiding intimacy with a partner. Um, you know, it's just, it could be really difficult, um, depending on the level of trauma and depending on the severity of things you deal with and how often and your day to day. I mean, yeah, those feelings of hopelessness, right? Like I see a lot of bad in the world. They can start to attach if you're not processing this in the right way, right? Or getting the help that you need. And it, it can, you know, make the world look, kind of look like a, a darker or scarier place, even when, you know, that's, that's not always the case. But that mindset and that shift, again, especially when it's kind of gone unchecked, um, can definitely have a big impact on someone's life. Next, we have feeling vulnerable or worrying excessively about potential dangers in the world and loved one safety. So kind of similar to the last one. But if you hear or see a lot of scary, dangerous, violent, traumatic, whatever it is, um, things in your day to day, then yeah, you know, you might start thinking about like, well, what if this happened to me? Or what if this happened to someone I loved and cared about, right? And that thought can get very, very overwhelming um, if that's not dealt with. Next, we have increased irritability, aggressive, explosive, or violent outbursts in behavior. Um, so just kind of getting a little snappy, right? When your mind is overrun uh, and overloaded, if emotionally you're kind of not getting a break, you're feeling that exhaustion, your body's kind of run down and your immune system's low, kind of, I'm just going to bring all these together. Um, I mean, but really, you know, if all these things are going on or some of them, you know, your body might just be reacting, right? Or overreacting to things going on and snapping out. Um, you know, just think about like when you're tired, right? Or uh, this happens to me all the time, um, but like when you're hangry, right? Even in those moments, not even talking about trauma here, but if you are exhausted or you are hangry, I mean, sometimes like you, I'm, this is from my lens right now, but it's like sometimes, you know, you can snap a little bit easier than you normally would, or something could bother you when typically it wouldn't, right? But you're just in this low state. You're just hungry or you're just exhausted. And suddenly it just got you to this level where you snap, right? So yeah, obviously, if we're not talking about being hangry or being a little bit tired, if we're talking about someone who's like emotionally exhausted or emotionally drained from trauma, then yeah, very, very similar things can happen there. 
Next, we have destructive coping or addictive behaviors. So yeah, I'm using another means to kind of code over these feelings, right? Or escape from it. So maybe this looks like overeating or undereating any issues with disordered eating um, to try to get control, to try to distract, take your mind off things, substance abuse or alcohol to numb the feelings or to let go, gambling or taking undue risks in really any activity. Next, we have avoiding work and interactions with clients or constituents. So yeah, if this is really starting to kind of take a hold of you and it's way too much to handle, then you may start to naturally avoid going to work, right? Avoid having those conversations. It's like maybe your brain and your body is working to protect you by just keeping you separate from all of that. And the last negative reaction is leaving employment or the line of work to move away from the trauma, right? Maybe you just don't feel like you're able to handle it. Um, even though this may be something you've always wanted to do. You've always wanted to be a firefighter. You've always wanted to be an advocate. You've always wanted to be a police officer, whatever that role is. Maybe after time, you just think, I can't do this. Because if it's, you know, dealing with this on a daily basis or a weekly basis, it's just too much for me and I can't deal with it. And yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a pretty common one as well, right? For individuals who have not kind of worked through how to deal with trauma, how to stay in this role and keep yourself well to be able to help others, then you're going to you're going to see the turnover, right? You're going to see the switch in career. So those were the negative reactions and of course not all of them, just some really uh, common ones. But now let's kind of discuss here like the the neutral or the positives, right? So in the term neutral reactions, it's really speaking to the way that an individual's resilience, um, their experiences, their support, their coping skills, how all of this is managing the traumatic material. So it's not that this person's not affected by it, but some individuals are just able to work through the trauma because they have this huge network of support, right? Or, or coping skills. So that's really what we're talking about with a neutral response. It's somebody who has all of that support and coping set in place to continually do this work. And also the positive reactions, which again, probably seems very odd um, when talking about trauma, that there's positives that can come out of it, but this does happen. And there's two specific things we're gonna talk about here. So number one is vicarious resilience or vicarious transformation. And these are actually pretty new concepts and this reflects the positive effects of this type of work. So let's say um, an individual draws inspiration from a victim's resilience and strengths, and it really kind of empowers their own mental and emotional fortitude, right? So maybe someone saw, witnessed, heard something, and it made them think to themselves, like, my God, people are so strong. Um, you know, I can't believe how brave that person was. Uh, you know, that reminds me a lot of me when I was in this situation and, you know, I see this emboldened, I see this person I'm so proud of and it builds up this pride in me for what I've been through and how I've handled it, right? So yeah, there's, there's a lot that an individual can kind of draw inspiration from um, someone that they're working with. And just as victims can be transformed in positive ways by their trauma, right? Like people that go on to tell their stories, to 
um, you know, impact others in positive ways and people that say, you know, it made me who I am or I'm stronger. Just like in that sense, victim service providers and first responders can very much feel a similar way, right? Or feel that way in general. And secondly, we have, it's called compassion satisfaction. So this reflects the sense of meaning that is gained from working in the field of victim services and first responders. Positive outcomes can motivate and in turn protect against the negative effects of trauma exposure. So someone that, yeah, really feels empowered, someone that really feels like I'm doing a really good thing. You know, work might be really hard, but I'm so happy that I'm here doing it because it is needed, because people need support, because people need to be able to rely on somebody, right? Whatever that is. But that can give tremendous satisfaction to somebody who is, right? Putting in the hard hours and and doing work that sometimes other people are just not equipped or don't feel like they can handle doing. And I'm really happy to say that over my years of working through it, um, you know, at times having some difficult moments, getting through it, having the self-realization, understanding that this was kind of bigger than me um, and needed to be addressed, you know, I am now on the positive side of this work, right? Um, I'm now able to say, like, I, I do experience compassion satisfaction. There's a lot of days where I have man, I have heard so many things that most people would shudder at. Um, and I've worked in all these different cases and investigations and done all these things that were really difficult, but it gives me a great sense of pride because I know I'm there doing physically everything I can in my capacity to support that person, to try to make it better, to try to get them to a better place of healing. And yeah, that's, that's very rewarding, right? Very, very satisfying thing to think about. So, you know, if you're someone out there right now listening, maybe this is a a conversation that's kind of new for you. Um, and, and you're realizing, Hey, this might really kind of be speaking to me right now in terms of the work I do and how I feel, even if you're kind of in that negative, um, space we talked about, right? Some of those negative effects, again, This can ebb and flow. This can change. Um, You can kind of get from one place to the next. And absolutely anybody can get to that kind of more positive mind space about this, right? It really is about the support. So I now want to move into talking about how we can support someone who is experiencing this, right? We never on this podcast want to say, here's an issue. Look out for all of this and good luck with that right? Like, no, we always want to leave you with things that we can do, how we can be proactive, how we can kind of be empowered and ready or deal with these things head on if you ever come across them. So we're going to talk about how coworkers or supervisors can show up for someone who's going through this because yeah, we know it's a work related issue first and foremost. So big component to talk about is in the workplace. So what coworkers and supervisors can do is they can reach out and talk to staff individually about the impact of the work. So supervisors can absolutely and should check in with their staff, even coworker to coworker, right? And coworkers sometimes may have a better idea of what your day-to-day has been like if you've had a more difficult day and just, yeah, talk about it, right? Kind of just process and, and decompress. 
They can also help establish a consistent work-to-home transition that creates that really important boundary and safe place outside the workplace. Because yeah, it's sometimes very difficult not to take things home with you. Um, I have definitely done that before. I've definitely, I'll actually tell a quick story. I took a really hard disclosure home with me one day. Uh, I mean, I could not shake it. I cried on the way home about it. Um, It was like I was trying to shake it out of my mind. And I ended up going to the gym that night and I was doing a lot of boxing at the time. And I just punched this punching bag until I thought my arms were going to fall off. Like that was all I could do, right? Because yeah, it was just sitting with me and it was just a really negative place. And at the time, that was like the best thing for me to do was just punch this punching bag until my arms couldn't even do it anymore, right? Just to try to exhaust myself. Um, so yeah, taking things home is is huge and unfortunate thing to happen. So you need to have that dividing line. You need to be able to have some sort of boundary there that when you leave work, you can really leave work behind, right? And and not sit with that the rest of the evening as you're trying to go and enjoy hobbies that you want to enjoy, as you're trying to go home and enjoy family time, time with a partner, time with friends, time with loved ones, time with pets, you know, or whatever you do to unwind when the day is done and whatever the home life looks like, you deserve so much to go and enjoy that and not be like me at the gym punching a punching bag until my arms were going to fall off because the thought of sitting in my own thoughts at home was like too much to handle. No one wants that. It's not a great place to be. So yes, coworkers, and more importantly, supervisors. I hope y'all will have those kinds of conversations with staff, create some kind of a plan, create those boundaries, help them identify those boundaries. That way they have that safe place outside of work. Next up, we have encouraging that person to attend to the basics. So sleeping, healthy eating, hygiene, exercise, even if it's just checking in on these things, right? Like, you know, how have you been sleeping? Um, Do you have a lunch with you today? Do you have everything you need to, you know, power up and get through the day? Um, Just really anything in that realm, right? To kind of check in or just have those conversations um, or just reiterating, right? that I just want you to know this job can be really difficult sometimes. And it's, it's really easy to let things like that go by the wayside in terms of sleep, in terms of eating, exercising. So I just want to make sure that you put at the forefront of your mind to just prioritize all those things, no matter what, right? And just lay that groundwork and have that conversation. Next is supporting connection with family, friends, and coworkers. So as a supervisor, um, you know, maybe building the trust of the team together. That way they feel safe enough to go to one another. Uh, Maybe encouraging, right, to have those outside sources of support and being able to be open and vulnerable with them. Next is discussing vicarious trauma as part of supervision as a supervisor. So yeah, if you're doing check-ins, if you're doing reviews, if you you know, one of those supervisors that kind of walks around team team member to team member in the morning and checks in, talking about those kinds of things, right? Talking about how work was, how yesterday was, how this upcoming case is going to be, you know, has been difficult for you. And and can we talk about that? Can we explore options together of how you can process if you've been having a, a difficult time? Next is allowing flexible work schedules, recognizing the need for and protecting downtime. 
while staying attuned to the possibility of withdrawal or isolation. So having that balance, right? Like a supervisor kind of having their eye out. We don't want that person again, kind of in that silo, trying to really deal with all these things on their own and might not be a good place, right? Because if you're trying to just deal with these things on your own, it might just kind of sit and fester. But at the same time, giving the break that someone that's working in a really hard role needs. Um, being able to have that balance, right? That they have time off if they need it, that they can have a mental health day, that downtime, you know, you don't have to just cram really mindless work at them. Like maybe they need that half hour to just sit at their desk with their coffee. And that's going to be the mental break they need to be able to pick back up, right? Instead of like, let me just keep filling your time just to have your time filled, right? Like it, it's so important to be mindful um, about not overloading someone who might be dealing with really, really heavy things. Also creating time in a physical space at work for reflection. So maybe kind of making a chill zone, right? Maybe making kind of a therapeutic um, calming area, a relaxation room, right? And this can look like having maybe books in there, right? So even if it's like little um, positive quote books, having things to write on. So if someone just needs to get feelings out or journal to themselves, they can do that in this calm space. An area for prayer, for meditation, for art activities, like whatever it is that can promote a little bit of self-care, a little bit of spirituality, a little bit of that kind of emotional, spiritual cup filling moment in their day. Yeah, that's a great thing to keep in mind, especially if it's in a really, really difficult job setting. And lastly, if you're a supervisor, you can refer your employees to therapeutic and professional assistance when appropriate. So yeah, maybe it's recognized that someone is having a really hard time. Maybe just saying, you know, we have great counselors here. Um, there's great support and resources. You can talk to HR about these different programs we have. Maybe there is a support group that already exists. Whatever those avenues are, just being very open um, and sharing with your staff. Or if you're a coworker that knows about some of these things, sharing that with another coworker, right? And, and getting them connected to the things that they need. All of that, really important to know, again, in the capacity of coworkers and supervisors. But it's also really important to keep in mind that these things don't just stay at work, right? And we've already just been talking about that throughout. You know, sometimes it does kind of bleed over into home. We're not setting those boundaries. We're taking it home with us. And it can really start to affect, you know, their home life in general, um, not having that kind of peaceful space at home and can absolutely affect family members as well. So here are some tips that someone who is dealing with vicarious trauma can utilize themselves or even support that a family member can provide to them. First, share your concerns and develop supportive strategies with your loved ones. Just for like example sake, maybe I have a partner and my partner works in a really kind of traumatic job, right? Where I, I kind of figure out they're experiencing vicarious trauma just from the nature of what they're doing and like how they've been feeling, acting, behaving, all of that. So maybe I can just share my concerns, right? I've noticed you've been, you know, really quiet or you've seemed really in your head, really exhausted when you get home from work. And so I would love to develop like a plan for how I can support you. 
figuring out really what that person needs and what you can do, like what your limit and what your capacity is and try to put a plan in place. So it's just, it just becomes kind of a pre-programmed thing that you can do after you decide what those strategies are. Next is do your best to not take your loved one's reactions personally. Uh, remind yourself that what your loved one may be experiencing is related to the job and not you. So kind of like rewinding back to the beginning of this conversation, right? Some of the effects can be like kind of snapping out a little bit, being a little frustrated, being irritable, being tired, maybe being a little bit forgetful, right? Regardless, if your partner that's working in that tough job, if they're starting to forget things, if they're starting to be a little snippy, as difficult as it could be sometimes, yeah, just not taking it personally, just knowing that it probably has absolutely nothing to do with you, everything to do with emotionally, physically, where they're at. Next up, we have maintained daily life routines uh, because we know that predictability is super helpful when it comes to healing, when it comes to overcoming trauma, when it comes to our mindfulness, right? So this is for, again, if you're the person experiencing this or a family member, um, just trying to keep those things consistent, right? And, and just keep up that, that routine, that routine that really makes them feel whole, that makes them feel safe, that makes them feel at home. Next, just stay connected with family and friends. So something that you can suggest for someone you love that's going through this, or if you are the person going through it, just, yeah, try to be um, social. You don't have to go completely overboard. You don't have to force yourself into social situations that you're not even typically comfortable in. But no, just staying connected in the ways that make you feel good, that are within your boundaries and your limits. And... Next up, we have discuss the demands of your loved one's job and the impact with older family members, um, even including responding to questions that the kids might have in an age-appropriate manner. Having those conversations, that way it's not something that's just getting swept under the rug. It's like, no, this is the reality of what this is. It might be a little difficult for that person, but we're going to do our best to support them in whatever ways they need. Next up is take time to engage in social, creative, and self-care activities. Whatever fills your cup, whatever makes you feel recharged, rejuvenated, take the time to do those things. And lastly, seek therapeutic or professional assistance when needed. We can always not stress enough that people are going to heal in whatever way feels best for them. They can make the choice when to start that journey, what that journey looks like, how did go about it, but we are always such huge advocates of mental health, of therapy, of support. I say it all the time. My therapist, she is like an angel in my life. I don't, I don't know what I would do without her. She's incredible. To think about how many different um, specific forms of therapy are out there now for trauma. I mean, yeah, it it might not hurt, right? To look in, especially if you're getting to the point where I was at, where I'm like, okay, I'm realizing I'm not just exhausted. I'm realizing all these things that are happening, all these effects that are coming into my life, how it's taking over even after I'm done with my work day, these creeping thoughts. Like I got to the point where I knew what I was doing was not working. And the decision I made for me at that time was, yeah, I'm going to talk to somebody about this. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to have someone step in here because 
I don't think I'm going to be able to tackle it right in the ways that I need to. So again, you're going to do what you want or need to do your choices, but a lot of different incredible forms of therapy out there. I'm going to have some linked below so you can even take a look, see if anything kind of feels right or looks right um, and explore those options as well. But whew, even though, I mean, that wasn't like the heaviest episode we've had still lot to talk about and a lot to get into and consider. So perfect time right now to kind of practice what we preach, engage in a little bit of self-care here. So we're going to do a very simple, just breath work meditation. It's not even going to be very long. We're just going to get into a nice breath rhythm, just kind of do a little reset. So if you're available to take on this meditation at this time, just find a comfortable seated position. And start to just kind of make any adjustments you need to just relax wherever you're at. You can either find a spot on the wall to stare at or gently close your eyes if it's comfortable. And go ahead and start taking meditative breath, which is nice deep breath in through your nose and exhaling through your mouth. And just keep taking deep breaths in and out. On your exhales, let gravity kind of just sink you a little bit deeper. If you notice any points of tension in your body, Fists are clenched, any muscles are clenched. Just with your exhales, just let them go and let them relax. So what we're going to do is a little bit of rhythmic breathing. So on your next inhale, we're gonna breathe in, two, three, out two, three. Breathing in, two, three, and out, two, three. In, two, three, and out, two, three. In, two, three, and out, two, three. And continue on your own. Flowing your inhales and exhales with that rhythm. Breathing in for a count of three and out for a count of three. And you can now just go back to the meditative breath. So just the nice breaths in through your nose, out through your mouth, 
whatever pace you're comfortable with. On your next inhale, breathe in some positive energy. And exhale any stress. Your next inhale, breathe in some encouragement. And exhale anything you need to let go of. One more big breath in, fill your lungs all the way. And let go with a big exhale out. And you can go back to your normal breathing. If you had your eyes closed, you can open up your eyes. Do whatever you have to do to wake your body up. And I hope you enjoyed that little moment of self-care at the end of this heavy conversation. And again, that's a great tool for the tool belt, right? If you need some self-care in your day, um, even just doing that little rhythmic breathing, breathing in for three and out for three, you know, you don't have to even technically be, quote, meditating to do that, right? We can do that while we're driving. We can do that if we just need that little moment of that kind of breath reset, right? So, yeah, please take that. Use that if needed. But I just want to say here before closing out, um, you know, we've said this uh, plethora of times, all different episodes, that you can't pour from an empty cup. So there's a huge need to put yourself first when you're working in a profession that can bring on vicarious trauma. Um, we all know that first and foremost. I know my co-hosts have definitely kind of battled um, the ups and downs of vicarious trauma and working through that and or taking care of ourselves along the way, doing the work, right? And I know it's it's funny to think about saying like put yourself first because a lot of the professions we're talking about and a lot of the individuals in these roles they're doing it because they want to help, right? They're doing it because they're givers, because they want to make change, because they have that kind of a drive. So to say like, you know, put yourself first can be very challenging, um, but really it's the most important thing we need to prioritize because if we want to truly be there for others, if we want to truly make a difference and help, then we need to be able to take care of ourselves to continue to do that work, right? And that's just something, no matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you try to escape it, I feel like it's just gonna kind of come back around to you if you're not taking that time, if you're not considering yourself first and foremost. So it's not a selfish thing. Again, it only emboldens you and empowers you to continue to do the hard work by taking that time for yourself. So please prioritize that. I have a lot of information linked below. So not only can you learn more about vicarious trauma, you can learn about the support that's out there, different types of therapies. I'm going to put a little um, list of different self-care activities down there if anyone wants to take a look through and just explore some different things that, yeah, may kind of help fill your cup that you didn't think about. Please just remember to take care of yourselves. I really appreciate all the listeners out there joining me today to learn more about this. And I hope you will join us for our next conversation.